0: I'm George Frankly, and I'm going to take a look at how even the best and brightest people can make truly stupid decisions and terrible predictions, and what we can learn from them. This is Dare to be Stupid. This time on Dare to be Stupid, when is it okay to laugh at an obituary? How do you survive death by public ridicule? Don't count your chickens before they hatch, and don't be a glasshole. It's the many deaths of NFTs. The NFT market is dead. The bubble has popped, interest is gone, it has plummeted into non-existence. It has ceased to be. It is an X market Mind you, I'm referring to the boasts that came from last June, when the fledgling non-fungible token or NFT market went from dizzying heights the month before into an utter recession. That was touted as the big death. Now just a year later, the Wall Street Journal has declared the death's second coming. Quote, NFT sales are flatlining, unquote down now a devastating 92%. The NFT market has quote-unquote collapsed. Mainstream press has jumped all over it, declaring an end to our long national nightmare. Reports of the NFT market's death have been greatly exaggerated. And that's great. For interested parties or anyone reading this, these assumptions have already been dispelled. Coindesk's own Sage D. Young has summed up the situation well. The smart money is still in play, but casual investors have had a massive scare. The big fish, the serious traders and investors, have had a few bad days, but many small fry have scattered entirely. Overall investor confidence is largely sustained. That's not what's fascinating here, though. A wave of mainstream doom and gloom and the inevitable obituaries is nothing new. The engagement of media with this dubious news, however, has a lot of potential value. NFTs, and by extension a wide variety of tokens, have a PR problem. The false reports of their death, may be exactly what's needed to shrug off a lot of accumulated baggage. Part 1. The Understandable Contempt There's little sense denying that NFTs have earned a lot of disdain. Every reasonable utility or redeeming quality they may have is countered or simply buried by bad actors and the worst people in the room. A valuable way for artists to take control of the ownership and distribution of their work is difficult to say with a straight face when OpenSea is rife with fraud listings. It doesn't help that the public face of NFT artwork is usually the least compelling artwork imaginable. Worse still, the premise of real token utility, that ownership is effectively a pass card, an ID, and access key to other functions, is rarely realized in view of the mainstream. In almost any field, bad actors have enormous power over the narrative, and that control has only grown more alongside the public's growing contempt. Outlets hungry for angry clicks have an ocean of god-awful get-rich-quick schemes and junk tokens to point at and laugh. Every mishap that befalls the Bored Ape Yacht Club is played up as a universal condemnation of tokens, and every endorsement of Bored Ape Yacht Club is just about as bad. For the man on the street, Bored Apes and NFTs are a single circular Venn diagram. They mean exactly the same thing, and nothing else. The corporations trying to dip their toes into the space are rarely captains of industry. GameStop, the retail chain that couldn't, was so fast to declare their interest in the NFT space that the drool on the announcement was even wetter than the ink. Software giant Square Enix, already under fire for leaning hard into the games-as-service revenue strategy, pawned major studios and legendary brands for pocket change in their hunger to pivot into NFTs. The atmosphere around corporate blockchain integration, reeks of desperation, and easy money. This kind of dragged-out PR beating is nothing new for disruptive technology, much less the crypto space. The earliest days of Bitcoin were full of lazy, funny-money takes, and it was inextricably entangled with the Silk Road in the public eye. The death of Bitcoin was declared so often and with such regularity that multiple, well-organized infographics track the decade of presumptive obituaries with real-time updates. www.bitcoinisdead.org is a particularly nice one. It survived the laughter. In fact, it was stronger for it. It's not alone, either. But first, what are the given causes of death this time? Part 2. The Convenient Death. The number being most bandied about is 92%. Daily NFT sales are down 92% since last September. As well as this, quote unquote active wallets are down 88% from November. And more importantly, Elon Musk made a mean tweet about NFTs a few weeks ago, so obviously the objective data is in. The Wall Street Journal gathered these numbers from market tracker Non-Fungible, which has already disputed their interpretation. The current-week numbers the journal used for comparison were still incomplete in the process of being backfilled, so the lowest point that the article referred to is no longer even present on those charts. Moreover, the comparisons were needlessly convenient in their scope. Of course they're comparing current lows to last September. When your basis of comparison is the highest peak in activity in the last year, you are giving yourself the largest possible delta. You aren't proving that the choice of those two points is meaningful. For example, Bitcoin values are down 55% from last November, or they're up 1% from last July, or it's up 400% from the beginning of 2020. These numbers are all true and all meaningless unless I'm positing something meaningful in my choices of point A and point B. Not only this, the key metric being discussed by the journal was only the number of transactions. The value of the transactions tells a very different story. By chain analysis observations, last fall was a period of high traffic, with smaller transaction values. Essentially, a rush of activity at modest prices. Many people were buying and selling, but values hadn't skyrocketed yet. But that explosion of interest led to a subsequent explosion of value in November, now with higher prices on fewer overall transactions, all only to snap right back to high transactions, low prices in February. It's been a volatile back-and-forth swing from buyer's market to seller's market and back. Now, when transactions are low but actual cash values are actively rising again, how can anyone call this flatlining? You can't. With any sense of nuance, there's no death to be found here. Despite that, it may still be a great time to let the NFT market die. Part 3. La Petite mort. The fact is that repeated obituaries for embattled platforms are so common that they're a reliable sign of life. The many deaths of Bitcoin over the last 12 years have done very little to stem its expansion. A standout story arc from this journey would be Forbes' Tim Wurstall, whose confident So That's the End of Bitcoin in early 2011 received the sequel The End of Bitcoin Part 2 only a few months later. He rang the The Bitcoin Bubble Has Burst gong regularly until 2018 when he reached a place of nuanced interest with Bitcoin is a bubble, but manias can have economic benefits. He's right, by the way, but hold that thought. Even as Bitcoin hit its stride with the astonishing highs of late 2017, it was being met with presumptive pre-post-mortems about the drop to zero right around the corner. But it wasn't alone. Other businesses and technology have run the exact same gauntlet. The internet itself was a massive target for skeptics who loved to call it a fad and predict its demise. The dot-com boom was practically a non-event for its detractors, yet the dot-com bust was everything they had hoped for. Obviously, career obituarists are more likely to spot caskets than bassnets. Except, the burst of that bubble did not end the internet, not even remotely. The many, many little deaths of the dot-com era cost people money and sank startups, but, based on the evidence in front of me, the internet somehow still persists. The implosion of a bubble does not magically negate the underlying market or technology like some sort of crop-ending world blight. While all the bananas of the world may be one single vulnerable cultivar, turns out that the internet had more websites than just pets.com. We all know that the housing market collapsed in 2008, and yes, a mortgage bubble inarguably burst. Astonishingly, over a decade later, human beings are still financing and purchasing houses. Why, I've seen it happen. Houses were not rendered defunct nor were mortgages, rather the specific flavor of unsustainable opportunism and short-sighted greed that burst, in this case lazy subprime loans funneling directly into securities, was named, shamed, and purged of many bad actors. The bursting of a bubble most often represents the death of a gold rush, not the death of a market. Bubbles are bubbles because speculative mania is shallow, opportunist, and, as Tim Worstall himself later pointed out, an eruption of experimentation and growth. When the dot-com bubble crashed, Amazon and Google persisted. Networking infrastructure persisted. Lessons were learned. Eventually, the worst of the carpetbaggers were defeated and sent back home. The worst of the naysayers were sated, and they looked elsewhere. The growing pains, bad faith investors, and public humiliation had passed. And a time for lasting, pragmatic development had finally arrived. The burst of a bubble is just as easily the puberty of a product rather than its death. Conclusion The Last Laugh If you're looking for relevant wisdom for the future of NFTs, the trailblazer you should look to isn't the internet, the housing market, or even Beanie Babies. It's Google Glass. Google Glass is, as we all know, long dead, but its life had the most entertaining start. Google's rudimentary Smart Glasses head-mounted display was, it seemed, more engineered to polarize audiences than to empower its users. It was a smart device that gave you a direct-to-your-eyeballs display and a direct-from-your-eyeballs 5-megapixel camera. In 2013, Google rolled out the Explorer program for enthusiastic early adopters. Though, as you may recall, those early adopters were mainly just paying to be beta testers. City streets and businesses weren't ready for Google Glass, much less the market. It didn't fall directly into the hands of any particular utility or use cases. It was distributed, most loudly and most visibly, to the most gadget-fixated users with the most disposable income. The public eye wasn't sold Google Glass, the essential engineering tool, or Google Glass, the futuristic military interface. No, the mainstream got Glass Holes, the guy wearing a combination GoPro smartwatch strapped to their face in restaurants and movie theaters. It was at once obtrusive and intrusive, a piece of technological overreach with clear hazards and without clear purpose. Enthusiasts found applications for it and were eager to proselytize, but ultimately it was being billed as a comprehensive solution to no specific problem. And it presented problems of its own. It was a new device that did not fit into any existing culture slot for smart devices. Smartphones moved into the space held by cellular phones. Smartwatches took the place of wristwatches and early fitness trackers. Google Glass, however, had no parking spot to inherit. It was an unwelcome presence that did little to earn its place. Early enthusiasm gave way to long-standing mockery, and the court of public opinion was ready to dispose of it within a year. The entire Glass brand had achieved negative mindshare. Google ended Glass at the beginning of 2015. Except, it didn't. Google ended the public-facing, open-ended Explorer program in 2015, and learned to play its cards closer to the chest. Glass lived on with the Glass Enterprise program, which has grown and expanded since relaunching in 2017. Focusing now almost exclusively on medical, industrial, and military applications, today Google Glass is quietly thriving away from the public eye. It has found a potentially permanent home as a teaching and consulting tool, not unlike standalone telepresence devices. After putting the cart before the horse and creating a gold rush of blind public enthusiasm, Google allowed Glass to play dead and try again, this time with a sense of purpose. Glass got the last laugh. NFTs may be blessed with the opportunity to do the same. Once the speculators, the opportunists, and the comedians see the casket, developers and creatives may finally find the freedom to explore a more durable and meaningful purpose for the maligned token infrastructure. After all, you don't need to sell a disruptive technology to the entire world, just to the people that finally need it. It's a lesson to all of us. If people are mean, you're having a really bad time, and you want to start over, just fake your death. Thanks for listening. As I like to say, my many job titles usually include the word armchair. If you're an expert and you're hearing me get it wrong, I'd like
1: to know about it. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant.